Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I am working all things for your good. I will withhold no good thing from you. I am your shield and your great reward. I am your light and your salvation. I am the stronghold of your life. I will give you eternal life. I will give you abundant life. I will give you peace. I will give you rest. I will give good gifts to those who ask me, and I will give strength to the weary, power to the weak. I am close to the brokenhearted, and I will comfort those who mourn. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will hear you, forgive you, and heal you. I will be found by those who seek me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will listen to you. I will fight for you. I will set you free, and I will not change. I will redeem your life from the pit and crown you with love and compassion. I will finish the good work I have begun in you. I will never blot your name out of the book of life. I will come back and take you to be with me. I will deliver you and you will honor me. What a great little video filled with so many of the promises of God. One of my favorite old hymns of the faith. I love the old hymns of the faith because uh, it reminds me of just great truth. It, it reminds me of things that I need my mind to be wrapping around and that I need to be internalizing in my life. And one of the great, uh, one of my favorite old hymns of the faith is a, a hymn called Standing on the Promises of God. How many of you have ever sung that song? Maybe you've heard that song. We're not going to sing it this morning, but I, I, I love the, the words in there. The chorus says, standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing. And then it goes, standing. I always remember that as a little kid. And then it says, I'm standing on the promises of God. The promises of God. The promises of God. I love thinking about and studying about the promises of God. Dan just shared one out of Psalm 91. The promises of God and about dwelling near God and being in his presence and being in his shadow and being underneath his wing, so to speak. His, he's available to us. He makes himself available. It's a promise that he makes in scripture. I, there's uh, interesting books written about the promises of God. Uh, one book called All the Promises of the Bible. Uh, the author was Herbert Locklear. He found 7,147 promises of God in the Bible uh, to, to God, uh, to his people. 7,147 promises. You go, man, that's a lot. It is a lot. If you were to read a, a book by a guy named 
Everett Storms, he actually came up with a different number of promises in the Bible. Uh, he made different lists uh, of promises, and they, he identified 7,847 promises. So we're, we're, we're moving up a little bit depending on how you look at the promises and how you count the promises of God to people. Uh, and depending on who you ask and kind of how you go about counting the, the promises in the Bible, you categorize them in maybe some different ways, you'll see answers. I saw answers ranging from 3,000 to 30,000 promises in the Bible, mentioned throughout the Bible. Now, I will go ahead and confess to you, I have not taken uh, the time to go through and count on each page how many uh, promises I could find. I think 30,000 seems a little on the high side because there's just over 31,000 verses in the Bible. 31,173 uh, verses to be specific. So, man, that's like a, a promise of verse uh, almost there. Um, but nevertheless, all throughout the Bible, if you read the Bible, you will see promise after promise after promise in the different stories, in the different situations. And what it brings us, or can bring us, is great hope. And, and everybody in our world needs hope today, yes? Yeah, that's not a trick question. Everybody needs hope. And, and God makes an incredible, incredible, incredible promise that we want to look at today to, to uh, one of the more recognizable characters in the Old Testament, the character known as David. David, I want us to look at this promise that God makes to David and to his family this morning. And then David has a response to that promise. David prays this prayer that is just filled with praise and with gratitude that we can use as a model in our own life. So if you could use some help in your prayer life, today we're going we're gonna to look at three different parts of this prayer that David, King David, actually prays back to God when he hears this incredible promise that God is going to make about his family. So turn with me, if you would, into the Old Testament part of your Bible. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. We're continuing in our series, Ancient Prayers uh, for a New Year. We've been taking a closer look uh, at some of these uh, people in the Old Testament that maybe we don't spend quite as much time studying or looking at. And we've been looking specifically at some of the ways that, they, that these um, folks in the Old Testament have prayed and some of these prayers that can give us some handles on how we can energize and, and make some strides in our own prayer life in this new year. Uh, as I've been mentioning, the, the work, the writing of Dr. Walter Brueggemann has been foundational for me in this series. His book, Great Prayers of the Old Testament, has really been the basis for this series. Many of the words I'm using are direct quotes from him, so I want to give him uh, all the credit that he deserves. And man, he's really been helping me learn how to pray in some, some fresh ways, some new ways that are actually really, really old and ancient ways. And they've been uh, they, they've been stimulating to me, and I've been learning, and I hope that together we can learn uh, as a family of God and keep pursuing God together, looking at some of these places that maybe we don't spend quite as much time at in, uh, in the Bible. 
Uh, today we're looking at the prayer or a prayer of David, King David. As Dr. Brueggemann notes, uh, David became king uh, partly by ruthless cunning, uh, partly by careful alliances. He became uh, king partly by wondrously good fortune. Uh, but the narrative of the faith in Israel, uh, the people of Israel, they believe that David became king because of a divine resolve. God just saw it through until it happened. Uh, it was God's intention that David should be the king and that he is made the king by God's faithful attentiveness to David. And so if you study the life of David uh, in, in the Bible, it is so clear to see that the Lord indeed was with David and was, was over his life and over his, his, his leadership and over his family. And while we don't have time this morning to review all of David's story, uh, we do want to pick up our story here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, what's happening at this part of David's life? Let's give it a, a little bit of context and kind of situate his story. So at this part, uh, it comes just on the heels of David being anointed as the king of Israel. We, we see that happening in chapter 5. So we're going to be in chapter 7, but just a couple of chapters earlier, he's anointed as the king of Israel, uh, leading his army into battle, defeating his uh, foes, the, the Philistines, a little bit later in that chapter. And, and what's important about this particular battle that he's just finished up, this victory that he has led his army to uh, accomplish, is that after David defeated the Philistines with his army, David actually took back what the Philistines had stolen from the Israelites in earlier days. And what they stole was the Ark of the Covenant. That is a big, big, big deal to the people of God. And then we get into chapter 6, uh, and we see the story of David. And David, he ends up leading the people to move the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where David established his home base. And there's all kinds of drama that happens in chapter 6. It's an incredible, incredible uh, a chapter in the Bible. There's all kinds of tragedy and trouble. Eventually, there's great rejoicing. There's blessing once David leads the way to get the Ark of the Covenant back home to Jerusalem. And now, this new king, David, who's been chosen by God, is safe in his own city. He is near to Israel's most treasured religious artifact, the Ark which was the sign, see the, the ark was the sign of God's presence and his provision and his protection for his people. And so that's why it was so important that they got it back from their enemies and they've brought it back to home base, okay? And so now we're going to turn our attention over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And what we're going to see in 2 Samuel 7 is God's going to start speaking in the night. He's going to speak what's known as an oracle. Okay? You go, what's an oracle? An oracle is a promise. 
It's a promise that God makes, and it's a promise that will come true. And God starts speaking this oracle, this promise, not to David, but to a prophet named Nathan. Let's talk about Nathan for a second, get the characters kind of in our mind. So Nathan served as a prophet to David. There's these three main, um, I I guess, areas that that in that day you have a prophet, you have a priest, you have a king. You keep seeing those three uh, people throughout, those three orders all throughout scripture, a prophet, a priest, and a king. And so we got David as the king. Nathan is the prophet. Nathan is this truth teller. Everybody needs somebody in his or her life that will tell them the truth, yes? Not just tell them what you want to hear. Even when it's hard to tell the truth, we need people in our lives who are willing to bruise us with the truth now rather than just stay quiet and watch us bleed out later. We've got to have people that will tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that is who Nathan is. And God shares in the night an oracle, a promise A truth to Nathan that Nathan is then going to go and share with David. And then David is going to respond to that oracle, that promise that came to Nathan in some unique ways from God. So let's read about this conversation that David has with Nathan. We'll see that in verses 1 through 3. And then in verse 4 through about verse 17, we'll see the oracle. We'll see the promise of God being given to Nathan. Okay, And then the back part, 18 through the end of the chapter, is how David responds in prayer to this promise. So let's look at the first three verses. It says this, Now when the king, David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, well, go, do, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So David's doing well as the leader, as the king. He's accomplished much. He's, he's made Israel great again. He, he's been building back better the, the nation of Israel. And like any great leader, he couldn't just sit by and do nothing, okay? He's got to have a project. He's got to have something that he's working on. And so he thinks, man, I've got this incredible house here that I live in made of cedar. We've just brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It's out here in a tent, well, that, that doesn't seem right. That, that doesn't seem right at all. The presence of God represented by the Ark of the Covenant out in the back in a tent. And so David thinks to himself, we need to build a proper place for the Ark. We need to have a serious fixer-upper going on around here. We, we need to flip that tent into something incredible, at least a barn dominium. No, we need a temple out there. And he's like, okay, that's what we're going to do. And Nathan says, hey, David, God is for you. Go for it. Go do what is in your heart, King David. Let's make it great. And then God starts talking to Nathan in the night about what's on his heart, what's on God's heart. And we see God give Nathan direction to share with David about this new temple And we also see this incredibly generous promise that God 
tells Nathan that he is going to do for David and for his family. Let's pick it up in verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus... You shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep. David was what before he became king? He was a a shepherd boy. God didn't forget where he came from, where he called him. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place For my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, what does that mean? When you die, David. When you die. I promise you, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish His kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, when he goes off the rails, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, But my steadfast love, making a promise, my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, Saul was who? He was the king before David, the first king of Israel. Whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever and in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David it's the word of the Lord thanks be to God what an oracle what a promise 
What a promise from God for David. Dr. Brueggemann, he, he, he points out that this oracle of God first asserts there in verses 5, 6, and 7. God talks about his own freedom. God talks about his unwillingness to be boxed in by some cultic furniture known as an ark. <laughs> Can't box God in. However, the point of the oracle, it doesn't really concern God's freedom. It concerns God's abiding commitment to David. I called you, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to see you through and your family forever. In verses 8 and 9, the oracle reviews the past. It presented as this narrative of God's ongoing, unrelenting faithfulness. But then you get down to verses 11 through 16. 11 through 16. And he promises that he's going to make a house. You see that there? He's going to make a house for David. What does that mean? Does that mean he's going to give him a nice 3-2 with a half bath on the back end? No. No, it means he's going to make a dynasty for him. A lineage for him. David is promised a spectacular legacy. God's going to see him through in his achievements of the king all throughout his life and his future, well beyond his own lifetime. What God's promising here is to begin his own generation's conversation. He's already talking about the next generations to come. And what God is promising that he's going to do for his people through the leadership and the lineage of David. He cares about the next generation. Isn't that what we all want? To live a life today that leaves a great legacy for those coming behind us. Don't we want to leave a great path for those who are coming behind us to walk down and to see the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and to know this God that we've walked with and that we know and that we're sharing with others. It's what God promises. It's what I want. I know that's what you want. And that's what God promises David. <clears throat> and this promise, this promise may be just one of, if not the most remarkable promises in all of the Bible. It's an incredible, incredible promise. And the promise includes the assurance that David's son, do we know the name of his son that God was talking about here? His son's name is Solomon. Solomon. And Solomon is actually going to be the one who builds the temple for God and who's going to have this special relationship with God as verses 12, 13, and 14 indicate. And now Solomon, he's not mentioned by name here, but that's who ends up building the temple of God. And it goes back to this promise here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. What's so remarkable is that 
that God promises that he will never under any circumstance for any reason remove his faithfulness from the dynasty and the legacy of David. Look again, look again at that profound promise in verses 15 and 16. Halfway through 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And just as in his work, Dr. Brueggemann does a, a, an incredible job giving us the backstory and building up what's going on with this oracle We've been taking a little bit of time this morning setting this oracle in the context for what David is about to pray and how David is going to respond to this unconditional promise of God. There's three different parts that we're going to see and I'll point out to you at the end of David's prayer. So if you've kind of been wandering in your prayers lately, man, this morning may be just for you. Three handles for you to begin incorporating into your prayers this week. This is how I'm going to be praying this week, and I'll show you in just a few minutes. So the question left for David at this point, Nathan's just shared, here's what God's saying to me about you and your family. And what, what we're left with and what David is left with is how, how to respond to that, how to pray properly and appropriately to such an incredibly astonishing guarantee from God that is rooted only in God's faithful assurance. Because God said it, it's going to come true. How does one respond who basically just received the lottery ticket from God? That's what just happened to David. And David's like, wow. And that's what David's prayer Yes, let's read his prayer beginning in verse 18. Then we'll make a few observations about this ancient prayer of gratitude from the lips and from the life of David that have been helping me and may help you too. Look at verse 18. We'll pick it up here. Then David went in and he sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise. And according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness. To make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you. And there is no God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel? 
The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods, and you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you for you O Lord of hosts the God of Israel have made this revelation to your servant saying I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Amen. Wow. Anybody been praying prayers like that this week? (laughs) You go, no, but God didn't give me that kind of promise either this week. Now, but boy, there's a model here for us. There's, a, there's a, a pattern for us. There's handles for us to grab hold of and incorporate into our own life. Man, that was an incredible prayer that David prayed. I mean, what, what else does a person say when you've just received that kind of promise from God besides, thank you. I love you. You are great. That's what David is saying all throughout his prayer. And Dr. Brueggemann points out that David's prayer, it's just overloaded with these generous acclamations of the name of God. The prayer is all about God. It's all about God's actions. It's all about God's faithfulness and God's uncommon generosity toward David and toward his family. And so what we see is this prayer is an act of celebrative praise. That's the first handle in his prayer. How much time have you and I been investing in our prayer time just praising God? I tend to go to the ask. (laughs) God will you rather than, oh God, you are. So good. What if, what if we started praising God more in our prayers this week? That's what we see David doing here. He is praising God. His prayer is, is overloaded with praise. The praise then is further emphasized when it's matched to David's deference toward God. That's the second handle we see in here. His deference toward God. 
the transaction of praise is to just to state the enormous difference between God and the one who's praying to God. God just articulated in wonder and majesty and this one who is praying who is humble and insignificance that there's a deference there's a deference David understands his place you are God and I am not that's a deference toward the majesty the goodness the strong God the prayer of David begins with exactly such a gesture of deference look again in verse 18. David, David brings forth two questions. These are questions of deference. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Those are two questions of deference. You know, what, what, what do you mean? Who am I, Lord God? I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. And what is my house, my dynasty, my legacy? That's nothing compared to you. See the deference that's there? It's not, it's not false humility. He's just stating what's become so overwhelmingly obvious. In these words, David, he remembers where he came from. How many of you are at a different place today than where you came from? Yeah. Maybe you think back about a, a time when war was happening. A different place today, at least in our country. Are we praying for our friends overseas? I'm praying for my friends, Tyler and Kelly and their kids who've been serving in Ukraine as missionaries over there. Different place. We've all had seasons in our life where we've been in one place that's been really, really difficult and God's moved us to another place. He's been faithful to lead us. David remembers where he came from. When David was found by the prophet Samuel, we talked about Samuel a little bit last week, for his initial anointing, David is his father, Jesse's eighth son. Just a little kid. I mean, if you were eighth in line and had a lot of big brothers ahead of you, your chances were not good that you were going to be king or that you were even going to be receiving a whole lot. I mean, you think Prince Charles has been waiting forever to assume the kingship? David didn't have a chance, but God decided to do something different. And we see his story back in 1 Samuel 16. We'll read that a little bit later of where he came from. And we've only made it this far because of God. The transformation of that little kid out in the fields watching the sheep is a great thing for David to remember. And he remembers and he goes, that's a huge deal in my life. And he goes, God, I know that's just a small thing for you. It's a simple thing. It's an effortless gesture that required hardly any divine energy. 
because you're so great, God. That's deference. It's deference. And thus David's posture for prayer is just this acknowledgement that all that he has comes from this great and powerful God who showered favor on his life. I know your stories, and I know many of you, that's what you talk about when you talk about your life, because you know where you came from, and you know how you conducted your business, and you know it all came from the hand of God. Isn't that right? It's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. And that's what David's praying here, the generosity of God, without any claim or achievement from his part in his life and David is just acknowledging that both his life and his remarkable rise to the king of Israel and the nation as a whole those are gifts from God and he just remembers he remembers his old neighborhood he remembers where he came from all that's because of God and isn't that a great way for us to pray this week remembering where you came from Remembering who you are, remembering where you started, some of those hard places, those hard chapters, the hard seasons, giving deference to God, praising God for everything that he's done in our life. And if you find yourself in a hard place today, he's not done with you. He's not done with you. Praise him right where you are, knowing that he's going to move you to where he wants you to be in Time. And Dr. Brueggemann goes on to note that David, having established this, this distance between the majesty of God and his own insignificance, and having fully acknowledged his total dependence on God and on God's divine faithfulness and his generosity, notice what David does in his prayer. Three different times at the back end of his prayer, David utters this phrase, and now, in verse 25, 28, and 29, we see, and now, and now, and now, and now. It's this, it's this phrase in the Hebrew language, a common speech throughout the Old Testament. And it signifies this. Everything up to this point is preliminary. Everything up to this point is kind of a prelude. Praise to God in prayer, that was preliminary. Deference on the part of David in his prayer, that was preliminary. And now, and now, now, we're going to get to the real brass tacks of the prayer. This is what I really want to say to you, God. In a sense, David's about to make his move in the prayer to kind of close the deal. Close the deal on his prayer with God, okay? And what's so beautiful is that he's doing this because of his relationship with God. He's not fixing to pull one over on God. He's coming with honesty and openness and transparency. And now, here's what I want to say to you, God. Here's what I want to say to you, God. Here's what I want to say to you, God. We're about to get down to the real issue. Look at verse 25 with me. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. See, in this verse, 
And now, and now, it refers back to the divine oracle back in verses 5 through 16. That's what the and now is referring back to. The promises that God has made, which would be forever, forever, according to verses 13 and 16. That, that, that is as, as far as, as the future can be thought of forever, forever. See, David's petition in verse 25, it alludes back to that forever. And it issues to God to confirm what he has already promised that he said that he would do forever. And now, God, do what you promised Let's get it on the record one more time. For the great deposition of heaven. And now, do what you said you're going to do. Do what you said you're going to do. David's praying God's own oracle back to God. Holding God to the promises. Expecting God to make good on those promises. What's David doing? He's standing on the promises of God. That's what he's doing. He's saying, you promised. <coughs> you promised God for all his deference. David's not letting God off the hook on this one. Mm-mm. David, David's like the little kid who goes into his dad and says, Dad, let's go play catch. <coughs> dad says, you got to take a nap first. Oh, man. But after you get up from your nap, we'll go play catch. Little kid goes down, takes a nap. Hour later, comes in there, has his glove, has the ball, has dad's glove. Because kids, what? They don't ever forget a promise that you make to them. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what I promised. That's right. I promised. Let's go play catch. See, in verse 28, in verse 28, we see David use and now a second time. Look at verse 28. And now, O oh Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Let's go play catch, God. You promised. Again, God here is addressed as Lord God. It is reminded of what God has said to do good to David. That's what God promised. And then in the next verse, verse 29, we see the third and now. The version that I'm preaching from, the English Standard Version, just has the word now. But in the Hebrew, it's the same phrase, and now, and now, now, or and now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This, this and now, or now as it says here, it's a reminder from David to God. God, you promised a dynasty for my house and that it would continue forever and be blessed forever just as you've spoken, God. 
just as you promised, God. David is holding God to his promises as if God needed that. That's the irony of this. As if God needed to be held to his own word. Do you think God forgot? No. Do you think God is enjoying the authenticity of this relationship with David? I think he probably is. I think he's loving it. I think he's loving the honesty, the praise, the deference, and now the demand. The demand. That's the third part here. The demand of the prayer. David's holding God to his promises as if God needed to be held to his own word. And we, we see David doing what Dr. Brueggemann calls a demand. The demand is just reminding God, God, would you just do what you already said you were going to do? Remember you promised. You promised. What David's demanding is that God would be faithful to his own word. Which by the nature and character of God, he has to be. Or he wouldn't be God. Because God's never said a lie. He's never said anything untrue. He's demanding God be God. God would be himself. And that kind of demand is not really all that demanding, is it? No. But again, what's so beautiful to me is the authenticity of this relationship between God and David. And if it can happen between God and David, it can happen between God and you. He loves to be praised. He loves it when you defer to him. And he loves it when you demand that he be God in your life. When's the last time you made that kind of demand of God? That he would come through on a promise that he's made to you. Mm, man, that just speaks to me. It's demanding that God would be faithful to his word. Just like my own kids would demand that I be faithful to my promise to them. It's my pleasure to do that. Why? Because I love my kids. It's not hard to bring goodness to my kids. I love to do that. Why? Because I'm their dad. And it's not hard for God to come through on his promise to you. Why? Because he's your dad. And it's in his heart and in his nature to do so. It's who he is. It's his joy to do so. So as we consider these three parts of this ancient prayer of David... What would it look like if you and I began to incorporate it into our life this week? Remembering these three parts of prayer. Praise. Deference. And the demand. Would you invest some time this week praising God for who he is. For what he's done in your life. Would you invest some time this week in prayer talking with God about 
where you've come from and deferring to, to how only God could have brought you this far, brought you out of where you've been to where you are, to where you're headed. And would you invest some time this week demanding that God come through on his promises, which you know what? He longs to do that anyway. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.